We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. Unfortunately, coming to you after a very disappointing loss by the New York Giants to the Kansas City Chiefs. Some might consider this a moral victory based on the final score. Those people, I don't know if I would say that they're looking at the game correctly, though, because the Chiefs came into this game three and four, have not looked like the team that they have the reputation of being. It was, without a doubt, the worst single game I've ever seen of Patrick Mahomes' career. I did not watch the Titans game start to finish last week, which was obviously the worst game of his career. Um, They're not right on offense right now. They're three and four team. And once again, we find ourselves saying, the Giants should have won that game, right? We find ourselves saying this was a winnable game. This is something we've said now a lot in these first two years during the Joe Judge era. We've said this a lot, like way more than I remember for Pat Shermer, way more than I remember for Ben McAdoo, way more than I remember in that back end of those Coughlin years when they were losing football games. And at what point does the question turn? Does the narrative turn? Or do we have just not, not forget narratives? Do we have to ask ourselves Whose fault is that when we consistently have to ask ourselves why are the Giants are not coming away with wins in almost any of these close games and almost any of these games where we say they should have won. They should have won that game. And the Giants had every opportunity to win this football game. The Chiefs, they had a great fumble from Logan Ryan. They, you know, they stopped them in the red zone when a ball hit off a helmet and popped in the air and the Giants intercepted that pass. And yet they find themselves on the losing end again. They're now two and six. It's through week eight again. They're completely done. Um, we can talk about that. We're not, I don't need to beat the barrel on that because I first want to ask our, because that to me, that it's over. It's over for Gettleman in this regime. It should have been over a long time ago. This is it. Another lost season. This is it. But Nick, I got to ask you, man, like, what is the case right now for JoJo's? Because I tweeted this and I want to get your take on this. Right now, the way I see it, Nick, if I'm just looking at this thing objectively, For the future of this franchise, simply just not any narrative, not any bias, just purely objectively speaking right now. 
What's the argument for what Joe Judge does well as a coach? Because we can say some of the things he doesn't do well, and we can talk about those, and that's constantly coaching not to lose. Decision to go for a field goal on fourth and one in the red zone tonight, which honestly in the end could could be the difference in why they lost this game. So with fourth and goal from the 18, instead of the Chiefs being in a 17-17 game where they can simply kick the field goal to go up 20-17 with a minute 07 on the clock, if the Giants don't settle for that 23-yard field goal in the second quarter, and they go for it on fourth and uh, two, fourth and goal from the two, and they score a touchdown. Well, now it's 21 17 Giants, and the, and the Chiefs simply can't kick a field goal. They have to try to convert a fourth and 18. So, once again, coaching not to lose, settling for these stupid short field goals, don't end up winning you games. They just seem to never come through. That's one. Two, it's constantly burning timeouts. Three, it's poor clock management. Four, it's just unorganized units overall. And it's just the constant bad end of half and end of game situations from both sides of the ball. Those are the five things we know about Joe Judge right now. But I'm wondering, Nick, what is the argument for Joe Judge right now? What is he doing well as a head coach? Why should he be part of the future when a new GM is brought in? That's the question I have to ask. I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I don't want to have to wonder it, but that's the question I'm wondering do you have any uh, anything to add to that, or do you have any, I guess, of the flip side of it, what, what we can bank on he's doing well right now? First off, I think the flip side would be that he says all the right things and that he has the locker room and that he has a plan and that he seems to be very organized and he's very detailed and goal-oriented. But I would combat that with the overall message of Joe Judge since he took this job was we're going to pay attention to the details. We're going to be fundamentally sound. We're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. We're not going to commit dumb penalties. Well, they committed 10 dumb penalties for 88 yards. And one of them was just an absolutely bogus face mask that should have never been called. That was egregious by the refs. But regardless, man, they had an unnecessary roughness. They had a holding. They had a legal touching. They had a false start. They had two taunting penalties, man, two taunting penalties. I mean, that, that's, that's horrendous. And then they also had the two offsides, one negating the Darnay Holmes interception, but I don't know if Pat Mahomes throws that ball. If, uh, if he doesn't see the yellow laundry, you can kind of see him peer and see the yellow laundry and then throw, uh, throw the pass into tight coverage. Great play by Darnay Holmes, but they're not disciplined, man. This is every week essentially that we're talking about dumb penalties this team shooting themselves in the foot them beating themselves and at the end of the day when we're discussing that the one person that you have to look at if you're going to single someone out because again like we always say on this podcast and it's important it's all collective but if we're going to single somebody out in terms of what's happening in the game it's definitely joe judge it's the head coach you have to live to what you preach and joe judge has not done that he just hasn't yeah, and I'm not even looking to single out Judge here because, in my opinion, the reason the Giants are two and six is mostly because of uh, the the regime. It's mostly because of the players Dave Gettleman has drafted. They just don't get anything out of big big time picks. They're not getting enough out of Lawrence. They're not getting enough get nothing out of O'Shane. They get nothing out of their second and third rounders, and they simply just don't get enough out of their firsts to make up for getting nothing out of all their other picks. And they've spent insane amounts of money in free agency. That's the real like. I'm not trying to say this is on Joe Judge. He's the reason they're losing game. But what I'm trying to get to the bottom of here. It's like, what does he do well as a coach right now? Because he, we know he doesn't coordinate either side of the ball, and that's fine. That's what I want from a coach. But it's it, so. But but what that does for us, Nick, is it doesn't allow us to point to anything specifically on offense or defense that he does well. We we think he plays a role in the special teams. And as you know, a listener to the podcast, Mo pointed out on Twitter, he did he made an excellent point. Like <laughs> this guy's coming in, and he's supposed to be a great special teams coach. Well, then. How the hell have we gotten worse on special teams? The best year the Giants have had on special teams in the last decade was the year before Joe Judge got here. And as Mo pointed out, one of the things that bothers him most about Judge is he's supposedly a special teams guy, but the specials have been below average. And that's despite using roster spots and late round picks on purely special teams guys. Like despite burning these roster spots and picks, they don't have a great special teams unit. So that's... Just the sixth point. That was the first six things. None of those are really disputed right now. We're a bad clock management team. Like you said, we're a we're not a disciplined team. We're bad at end of half, end of game situations. We coach not to lose constantly. Kicking a field goal on fourth and two from the goal line. <laughs> Run a play to score seven. Try to score seven points. Like stop settling for three here. Constantly burning timeouts. Just killing timeouts. Like what is going on with the timeout situation and the clock management situation with Judge? It's beyond belief. Like McAdoo wasn't this bad at clock management. I, I'm losing my mind over some of these timeouts burned and some of the clock management. So six things where we know he's doing really poorly as a coach. Besides what he's preaching, what is he doing well as a coach? And if the answer is we can't think of anything, 
how can we be okay with him moving forward? That's like my next question. If the answer is we can't think of one thing that he's doing well right now as a coach, and they're two and six, I just don't know. I don't know how I can feel confident moving forward in him right now, Nick. What I will say is we haven't seen Joe Judge with an adequate offensive line yet. So that could be one reason why he's being a little bit more conservative and settling for points and not going for it as much, which was a surprise to me because remember in the Cleveland Browns game last year, he went for it several times on fourth down. It was a similar situation, albeit they were home, but it was a Monday night football game where Colt McCoy was starting and they were dogs. And just like they were dogs in this game, you know, double digit dogs. So I was expecting him to kind of be a little bit more aggressive. That did not happen. So I'm wondering if the the lack of continuity along the offensive line plays into that. And also the lack of continuity among these receivers, because it's just a rotating door of different receivers getting injured every single game. It seems like it's just a very unfortunate situation, which could be, and I haven't done the extensive research into this quite yet, but that could be one reason why Joe Judge is burning dumb timeouts on offense because the offense isn't necessarily lined up correctly because one receiver doesn't know exactly where he has to be because he's never out there. And his sole purpose in practice is to basically be a scout team player. Yeah, I mean, those are definitely possibilities, but I, I'll be honest with you, Nick, to me, it seems a bit like a stretch to me to use that as an excuse. It's almost kind of like the injury stuff. There are, you know, the Browns are a more injured team than the Giants. There are plenty of injured teams around the NFL. And similar to me, like, I, I just don't know it. To me, it seems like he's in over his head with the clock management and the timeouts, just that specific issue of his coaching right now, to the point where like he needs to hire someone. He needs to hire someone to do this job for him. I mean, Joe Judge today, just after the game, he blamed headset issues for using timeouts and he's contacted the league. And according to, uh, I guess, Giant Insider Podcast, he said they better get it fixed fast. Like, we're now blaming the league for this type of stuff. Like, give me a break. The Giants are one of the only teams having these issues. And I just don't know if it's fair to blame the league or <laughs> for headset issues here. Um, but there were actual headset issues that prevented him from communicating with his players. And that, that is a real problem that the league has to address. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just I find it really tough to buy this man. I don't see any other team complaining about this. Um, and, and he said it went out on one timeout. So it was it, it, something I think he blamed it for just one of these timeouts. It's really not only just the timeouts, it's the clock management as well. Um, it's just it's something that he doesn't seem to have a good grasp over. In addition to the other things, the discipline, the coaching not to lose. Really, though, for me, it's the long term problem for me. Most most and foremost is the coaching not to lose. And that I I just can't blame on injuries. I can't blame on lack of trust in the offensive line. I think this is just kind of who he is. He's already said numerous times he believes in winning field position. Uh, that shows kind of it's more principle-based, his decision-making. He's also said, you know, always trust. After that win they had early in the season, I think it was their first win, the one before Carolina. He said, see, see, trust the process when it comes to kind of punting. I believe they punted on a fourth and nine, the Saints win. Um, so he said, see, see, it's just trust the process. See, it worked out this time. Don't worry about the results. But no, really, that's a bad process. And it's been proven time and time again that when you settle for field goals, you typically don't win games. And this was a great example. I mean, if the Giants have a four-point lead at the end, they win this game most likely. The Chiefs probably aren't converting a fourth and goal from the 18 uh, after that sack fumble that the Chiefs actually recovered. Um, imagine if the Giants recovered that ball. So I don't know, man. Right now, it seems like we can't figure out anything he's doing well as a coach. But it's hard to really argue against those six things he's doing poorly. Is that is that? I mean, we, there are some arguments. I mean, you've made them. But... Some of them, you, you you know, we can't find anything. The discipline, we can't find anything for that, right? There's, there's some of these we just can't find an excuse for, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the end result, it, like, like we always say, this is a results-oriented business, and the end result hasn't been pretty. And when your team is committing stupid penalties and you're the face of the franchise as the head coach, then you're going to bear the blame there. But obviously, Joe Judge isn't out there committing those penalties. But these guys have to understand the message to not be stupid in these big spots. And they have to know, like, hey, the league is really, really uh, enforcing the taunting penalty, as dumb as it is. But Elijah Penny going up to that defender's face and basically like yelling in his face, you, you can't do that. That is just a stupid penalty. And it's going to go back to the head coach at the end of the day. So, yeah, Joe Judge has to bear all of those mistakes because he's the head coach. Just like when you win, you get praised. Sadly, that has not happened yet under his regime or hasn't really happened for the New York Giants in the last decade, at least it doesn't seem, other than 2016, this has just been a, a terrible run for this franchise. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Unfortunately, it has been 
Tell we're run for this franchise. Daniel Jones actually becomes the first quarterback in NFL history after this game to start his career 0-7 in primetime games. Primetime games have really not been kind to Daniel Jones. He's averaging 223 yards passing with 11 TDs and 13 turnovers in those seven primetime games that he's lost uh, all of them. Uh, so that's not great. Um, and, you know, for me right now, this uh, – I'll say this because the Chiefs clearly aren't right right now. Like we said, this is the worst I've ever seen Mahomes. And right now, teams have a really good game plan uh, to to stop him. And it's really just drop drop seven or eight, or really sometimes nine drop or no no not nine. It's drop like seven or eight guys into coverage, rush four or three. Giants took that to the next level. I thought they it it sucks to take away like what the defense did, considering how often they were on the field and the fact that one of the Chiefs touchdown was because Daniel Jones threw a third round pick type rookie mistake to just not see just look that, you know, the defense back just reading his eyes. He throws that crappy flat interception sets up the first and goal. That was one of the touchdowns the Chiefs scored. Like this defense played that good of a game for the giants. And it was constant. It wasn't just like, you know, they were using the same formula that Titans and all these teams have used. There were some really good plays. There was a red zone call that Peyton and Eli broke down on the pay on the Manning broadcast where, you know, the Giants had a, a cover zero look, but not your traditional cover zero. It was double team Kelsey, double team Hill. And that's a really good play call there. And it came up with a big spot. They had some timely coverage sacks. They had some timely wins, uh, you know, up, up front one-on-one from guys like Ojolari and Leonard Williams, uh, you know, and just when they're just not even blitzing, they're just rushing three and four. It was like a perfect game plan on defense. Yeah, they had the one drive where they allowed the Chiefs to run the ball down their throats for a touchdown. They had another drive where they gave up, uh, I believe, uh, like a short field goal, but Ultimately, the Giants defense played out of their minds and they couldn't come away with this win despite that. And in a lot of spots for me, it's because of the coaching. It's because of Joe Judge burning those timeouts, because of the lack of clock manager. It's because of him settling for a field goal on that fourth and goal from the two, not thinking, hey, maybe we might need four extra points at the end of this game. And it turns out they did. And, you know, it's because of the lack of discipline. Like you talked about, it's supposed to be a really disciplined team. It's because of the special teams. Riley Dixon's the fourth highest paid average punter in the league. And we're punting balls, getting 36 net yards toward the end of the game. And, yeah, you know, at this yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's constant with this team now, man. It's so constant for us. We come out of these games. Sometimes they're competitive, but in the end, they always tend to lose. And now they're two and six again. This was basically a must win game in my mind. Like, the, the NFC East seventh card wild card spot is so bad. It might be similar to 2020 where we like convince ourselves of progress uh, toward the end of the season, I guess, if they can kind of fight back into like, well, if the bears and the, uh, no, no, the bears and the blah, blah, blah. And the saints lose this game. And then this team loses to this team. The giants win this team and this team, like come up with some stupid scenario where 17 different variables need to happen for the giants to make playoffs. That might still happen because the seventh wild card spot is so bad right now, but in reality, the Giants are not in a position to make the playoffs right now through eight games, and that's despite going all in on this season. Like they've gone all in. They now have nine million in dead cap or eight million in dead cap if they want to cut Sterling Shepard next year, and he's injured every year. They've pushed back the cap hits on all these contracts in addition to having what the second, the fourth, the sixth overall picks through the years, including another one that they traded back and took Antonio on, and, and just. At this point, the product needs to be better at this point. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating for me, man. I'm just, I'm, I, I, I'm feeling a little worn out, to be honest with you, Nick. I, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising to me at all. And my biggest thing now is like, I'm all the other things, you know, aside, because we know where we're at with this regime as far as the general management goes. There's no, there's no reason to talk about it, I don't think anymore, because if you're defending it at this point, I don't know why. I just be honest, but. It's the coaching, man. It's the coaching because I just don't know if I can have any confidence in Joe Judge at this point, and I don't know why Why we should. No, neither do I. I mean, you have to be better with your timeouts. You have to have a more disciplined program, and you have to win these close games. You can't consistently lose close games, man. You just can't. And it seems like every week we've gone on here outside of the Rams game and you know the Broncos game, I guess you can say, we have come away with – well, if this happened or if this happened, then they would have won. But those things never tend to happen. And I know we have two wins this season, two games that one was a blowout against Carolina last week and then the the, the kind of miraculous comeback in New Orleans. But other than that, man, there's not a lot to to kind of go off of for if we're looking forward. And I'm not saying that, oh, Joe Judge, I want him fired. He needs to go. I'm not saying any of those things. But, man, you need to start winning some damn football games. It's it's we're eight weeks into 2021 and, and we still come away with the same 
just criticisms of this team, the same, the same critiques because they're not getting any better and it doesn't seem like they're learning from the mistakes that they continuously make and they're playing undisciplined football. Yeah, and we could turn the page on Joe Judge and and because we've spent a lot of time on that already. I think we've both kind of made our points clear. I for for what you said, I will wrap it up with saying this though, Nick. Um, just to just to kind of plant my flag at this stage, I do want the Giants to move on from Joe Judge. At this stage, right now, he still has eight games to prove himself to me. But at this stage, he looks like a very like like a coaching hire that is is bordering on worse than Shermer because at least Shermer had a good offense that came with him. So far, I haven't seen anything good from Judge. Literally nothing to me. I mean, like people point to last year, they were competitive. They were competitive against backup quarterbacks and then one game against Russell Wilson. That's not, it's it's overblown and it's not fair to give credit to if we're going to be honest about the situation and objective about the situation. Like grinding out wins against the Andy Daltons and the Brandon Allens of the world is not that impressive. It's not actually not impressive at all. Um, so we'll wrap up there. Let's talk about some other things. Let's talk about uh, Joe Judge's comment after the game. I'm just curious your take on this. Uh, they asked Joe Judge if, um, this loss, so obviously the Giants dropped the two and six now, very unlikely they make the playoffs, but not out of it. They could win. They'd probably have to win all, but I think they could probably afford maybe one more loss. Do you think they could get it at nine and eight? It would probably have to be 10 and seven, right? I don't know, man. The NFC is pretty bad. It could be a gross seventh wild card team, to be honest. Okay. So let's say they have to win a minimum of all, but two games left on the schedule and uh, probably all but one game. So most likely they're, they're going to have trouble making this playoffs. But they asked Joe Judge, does this loss change anything for the Giants heading into the trade deadline? Joe Judge said no. So I think they're probably not looking toward uh, you know the future right now at this trade deadline. Probably going to try to keep this team strong, as strong as possible for the rest of this year. Hopefully that doesn't mean trading any picks to improve the roster now. That would be devastating nick i don't know if i could handle that myself i'll be honest with you right now man if they trade like a third or second or something for for like a leonard williams type again i i don't know i don't know if i'll be able to to, to, to take it what if though dan that his comment because the way the question was phrased the way you you just yeah. uh you said it was has it changed anything what if their goal the entire time was to trade somebody but i'm looking around if they right. were actually going to trade evan ingram would they have played him in this game Probably not, but hey, the Eagles played Zach Ertz and then traded him like the, the very next day on that Friday sure. when they played Thursday night football. So who who knows, man? Yeah, it's definitely possible. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't think that it's going to turn into a situation where we're trading four players. I can only imagine that would be crazy. But um, as far as some other things, uh, what uh, what did you make of? Uh, let's talk about Daniel Jones in this game. What were your thoughts on Daniel Jones in this game? He's not rising to the occasion, man. I mean, 222 passing yards, 22 of 32, two touchdowns, that really, really bad interception where he just didn't see Willie Gay, the linebacker. He just locked onto the stick route, saw the leverage of the apex defender go outside and then just fire the football into a spot without even considering the adjacent defender. It was a bad play. Like you said, it's like a third, third, third day pick rookie type of play. And that's exactly what it was. But you... For me, man, I think game plan came into it a little bit, and I would, I kind of want to yep. get in the film to see how Kansas City, they were defending their edges, how disciplined they were, because I didn't see as much, you know, quarterback action in terms of zone read and things like that. This was a, a game that you could have possibly stolen, man, and put yourself on the map, and it just didn't happen. I say all those things, but I also have to consider everything going around with Daniel Jones, and this is why it's a little maddening to me, Dan, and I want to get your take on this too, man, because... I feel like we make a lot of excuses for Daniel Jones and a lot of those excuses are warranted in my opinion. Look, all of his receivers are basically getting dinged up. They're in and out of the game. They come back. He's, he's throwing to guys like, you know, Colin Johnson and all these players yeah. and his offensive line is pretty horrendous. So like, I, I'm not off the Daniel Jones wagon, but like, I just feel at this point, man, every game I'm just continually making excuses for him. And you kind of want to see him, do more of what he did in that Saints game because that was like, okay, this guy's putting the team on his back type of uh, performance. And you had it here against Kansas City. Could he have possibly have done it? It's difficult when Billy Price and Nate Solder are out there blocking for you, but it just didn't get done, and it's a little bit frustrating. But I love the deep pass, John Ross, a couple of the other plays. But he could have easily threw a pick six on that one play, man. That, that He was very lucky that that wasn't taken back for a touchdown, and LeJarrius Sneed ended up falling down. I don't want him to throw that ball in that situation when there's a lot of pressure, but that could have been a devastating play. He's very, very lucky that that wasn't picked. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go 
to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and this is a great discussion because it's, you know, a lot of the people on Giants Twitter have kind of crowned him as a franchise quarterback. As some people even saying, you know, he's proven himself as elite this year. Um, what I've always said is, you know, I want to see 10 games of that Saints game where he's cooking in the short and I'm sorry, in the intermediate and deep passing game. That's that's the sign to me of somebody who I believe can be a lead at any point in his career. And also, you know, a franchise quarterback, you got to cook in those areas as a passer. Um, this game by no means was an example of that. This was a if we're being honest, a very bad game by Daniel Jones. Now there's excuses, like you said. So we're going to get into that. But as far as just evaluating the game right now, before we get into the before I get into the excuses, I should say. He threw the one pick six, which we've gone over. That's that's not a play you see quarterbacks making. Like that interception return for uh, it wasn't a pick six, right? Actually, sorry, it set him up with the with the first and goal, which eventually led to the touchdown. Um, but yeah. that type of interception is not excusable. That's not something you see franchise quarterbacks making. That's certainly not something you see elite quarterbacks making. And then the second one that should have been pick six, which he threw right to the defender, but the defender slipped. That would have been two pick sixes. He had no good throws in this game because, or he had one good throw, that little dig to John Ross that he seems to be able to always hit off the play action. But honestly, on those throws, man, it's such a defined read. Like he hits his back foot off the play action and the ball is going there every time. Like it's not really, it's, it's again, just a predefined, a lot of his throws are just predefined reads to me at this point. And that's, again, we'll get into why there's excuses for that. But the ball to, to, to John Ross, that's not a good ball. That was underthrown pass. Like if John Ross had to adjust to a ball that was, and and it was perfect protection, by the way. He had perfect protection. And it's an underthrown ball, so that's not really a good ball. No he, other. He just saw the matchup. Ball. He saw the matchup against Daniel yeah. Sorensen, and Daniel Sorensen. I think we talked about it on this podcast. If it wasn't this one, it was uh the one I do on Big Blue View about Daniel Sorensen. He's a he's somebody that you want to attack. Like you wanted to get him isolated against Evan Ingram. You wanted to get him isolated whenever he was on the field because he's a little bit long in the tooth at this point. And I thought the Giants, Daniel Jones, did that big in two situations that John Ross play yep. that went for what 50 yards. And then the Evan Ingram touchdown, which was a really nice release by Evan Ingram and just a, a poor play from Sorensen. He should be eliminating the inside leverage there as Lewis right. Riddick broke down. He needs to stay outside because he has help inside. So why eliminate the inside? Try to force him in that direction. But Oh, I wow. Guess you weren't are... watching the Manning cast. I wasn't. No, oh, I love wow. the Manning. Manning also paid in Madden. Manning also torched him for that uh, leverage on that play. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Manning cast guy. Love the Manning cast, but for the giant game, I wanted to I wanted to watch it like a more traditional type of game. 
Gotcha, Cause there are gotcha. times okay. where I'm watching the Manning cast and I'm watching like Monday night football and they're just talking to the guest and, and chopping it up. And there's so many things going on. I'd rather just kind of be involved in the game and, and a little bit away from the chit chat, but I'm sure I missed a lot of great moments. Cause it's, well, I want to get your take great. then on that as well then, because I actually there were a few interesting moments on the Manning cast as it relates to the giants that I want to hear your take on. So we'll get awesome. to that in a second. But as far as that played Evan Ingram, that was honestly the best throw of Jones's game. Like, that was the best throw Jones made all game. He ripped it into a nice spot with perfect placement and good velo. And that's like, it's not that hard of a throw. It was a pretty short throw. So, I mean, I can't get too excited about it, but it was his best throw of the game, I thought. Um, but again, like, my whole thing with Jones is right now, I think there's a few things that I'll probably, my, my big points here that we'll wrap up on as far as Jones goes. One, I'm kind of with you in the sense that I don't want to keep making excuses. That can't be a good sign. Like when we're consistently making excuses, it's not a good sign. But two, it's so hard to find a quarterback. And from my early look at this class, I really don't like what I'm seeing. I kind of like what I see from Carson Strong, but I also think it's just because he's kind of has these like super clean pockets that he's never going to get in the NFL. And he could look God awful in the NFL, potentially like I'm starting to learn some things that, you know, just like some a little bit of struggles with Zach Wilson, a guy who can throw the ball well with super clean pockets at BYU, you know, one thing Jones has done really good job of, especially given the circumstances, is pocket management this year. He's improved big time. Even a couple plays today where he stepped up and he ran forward and slid and took like four yards instead of a sack fumble or something like that. He's improved a lot in that way. So two, I think it's just so hard to find quarterbacks. And three, I do believe that Daniel Jones can look can cook in that intermediate passing game and the deep passing game with an offensive line. And some people will say to you like, well, if you need to rely on an offensive line to have your franchise quarterback, that's not a franchise quarterback. But I'll say, like, no, because what quarterback is doing this without an offensive line? Like, in reality, like, what quarterback is playing incredible football right now? I think at times the Packers' offensive line through the years with the injuries, Bakhtiari out, in and out, you know, losing Blaga has performed under, you know, underperformed, and Rodgers has done it, for example. Um, but there's not many other examples. Like, Brady's had a great old line with the Bucs. Patrick Holmes is at a great O-line until this year with the Chiefs, and he's finally struggling. And so that's just part of it. Like, you need to get guys – you need to get these guys offensive lines. The Giants are unfortunately super far away from it right now because of the management that they had in, because we allowed Dave Gettleman to have four years here. That's reality. We can beat around the bush and make all their excuses, but that's the real truth because we've had this guy picking the guys for four straight years on the offensive line and not using enough day three picks and missing on her, on her, Will Hernandez's and, and, and things of that nature. But the reality situation is how can I really evaluate Jones with this offensive line? That's I know it's again, making another excuse, Nick, but that's kind of where I'm at. It's where I'm at too, man. It's a it's a difficult place to be in. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, you want to evaluate everything game by game. I don't think this was particularly Jones's best performance. And he was going up against a defense that has struggled against quarterbacks. And I know they recently got Chris Jones back. I think he missed only like two or three games maybe earlier this season. And you could see the impact that he had. It's just when you have interior pressure coming right into your face, it, it's difficult to do much. And it seems like all three of those interior linemen struggled with Chris Jones, Will Hernandez, Billy Price, Matt Skura. And that's just, it's difficult to, to overcome. But as we already said, man, it's uh I'm getting a little disgusted with just keep making excuses. And I feel like a Homer, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you're Homer, though. I really don't because he's Neither do I, but it, we make a lot of excuses. We do make a lot of excuses for Daniel Jones. And, and trust me, we're, you know, we're on the more objective end of that spectrum. We're probably on the most objective end of that spectrum. If you look at a lot of the Giants content out there, it's it's a lot of people are saying he's elite, like that he was elite in those first four weeks. And, you know looking elite and a guaranteed franchise quarterback. You know, people today are still bashing. You know, I saw someone today uh, who does Giants content be like, you know, he found us our franchise quarterback. Well, why? How are we so sure Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback so far? I'm at the point where I'm good good to give him another year to prove it, but calling him a franchise quarterback at this point is a little rough when you, when you know, when you look at the actual just raw production, raw stats, the mistakes he still makes, and kind of just the lack of generating a passing game. I mean, he needs to cook. He needs to cook like that Saints game more often for me to actually believe in it. And I, and I do think, again, like it can come with an offensive line, so we'll see where that's at. Let's talk a little bit about Patrick Graham, though, because I thought Patrick Graham had a really good game, second great game in a row. I felt like we talked a lot about last week how the defense played with confidence, especially in coverage. I thought that was the case again. Yeah, they gave up a couple drives, but that's to be expected when your offense is constantly punting the football and not moving the ball at all and turning the ball over and giving you, you know, giving the Chiefs a first and goal from the seven or whatever it was. And besides all that stuff, man, they did exactly what they wanted here. They 
where Ben don't break. They forced them to run, and then they got key turnovers, which is exactly the blueprint there. The forced fumble by Logan Ryan, and then the kind of the tipped interception. So what would you make of Patrick Graham here? He's kind of winning my trust back for sure. Same here, man. Definitely. I mean, they replicated a lot of what the Bills and the Ravens did, play a lot of too high, force everything underneath. And that's why you end up with Daryl Williams with like six catches for 61 yards. The Giants were giving up the flat, trusting their tackling ability and rallying to the football. And I felt like they did a really good job because, again, Patrick Mahomes, every time he's looking deep, man, he's looking deep. Okay, it's not there. I'm going to check it down. Well, sometimes he's a little bit late to check down. So what does that end up meaning? That ends up meaning that he get sacked. That means that the pressure gets there and he tries to extemporize a little bit too much. And that's how the Giants end up getting, you know, a couple sacks in this game on Patrick Mahomes, able to pressure him, force a fumble on the one play. They didn't end up recovering it, but I thought the defense was opportunistic. They were closing uh, throwing lanes and, and really just harassed Patrick Mahomes in the sense of coverage. It seems like they're really playing as a defensive unit. I thought of Dory Jackson, James Bradbury, Logan Ryan, they all had exceptional games. Dory Jackson on the one play, I know Lewis Riddick broke it down on the, it was a, it was a deep post corner route. So a Poco route, if you want to call it that. So basically Tyreek Hill's flying down the middle of the field. And then about 20 yards down the field, he just sticks his inside foot in the ground and goes back towards the flag in a corner type of route. But a Dory Jackson was right there to kind of play outside leverage to not allow that to even happen. I thought Adoree had a, had a good game here. Yeah. Dory had another Dory's quietly been better than I guess people would, would expect or realize or consider now, like some people say, well, Oh, if you're paying him all that money, he better be at least this good. But I personally am fine with like what I've seen so far from Adoree Jackson on the season, because I feel like every time I watch him on film and I focus on him, he's carrying the routes well and he's in phase and he, that's what you expect from like these corners. And, like you said, there was that one deep route where he played it perfectly. And he, I feel like I've said that about a lot of the games so far this season uh, from the Giants with Adoree Jackson. So I, I'll give a game ball there too as well. Or, or, you know, just kudos there, not necessarily a game ball. Like what I saw from Leonard Williams today again. Like what I saw from Aziz. I think Aziz is building on, you know, what he's flashed recently there. Um, so all good things really for me and the Giants defense. I think they're going to play like pretty consistent for the rest of the year. At least I hope. I, I, I have a good feeling right now about this defense. I hope that too, man. I think the defense definitely uh, just played one heck of a game. I'm fortunate that the offense and the coaching staff, in my opinion and your opinion as well, uh, didn't bail them out and allow them to get this win because it would have been a great story for this team in general. But Dan, why did the Giants not use Kadarius Tony until like around the end of the second half? What was up with that? Yeah, I mean, First you nailed it, Nick. They they were, they were confident enough to put him as a punt returner, but they weren't confident enough to build a game plan around him. That seems to me like it makes no sense whatsoever. I'd love to hear, you know, a take on that maybe from from a coach if I could ever get if we could ever get lucky enough to get something like that because it just doesn't seem to make all that much sense to me that you could have the kind of confidence to him put him on specials where he can get re-injured pretty easily. He took a massive hit, but you don't want a game plan around him. You're 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 key to winning this game. Like, or I'm sorry, you're key, yeah, to winning this game and generating actual offense. The Giants were. 17 points against a defense that was worse than the red zone coming into this. I think I posted the stats. They were like fourth worst uh, yards per attempt passing game. They're like fourth worst, third worst and dead last and red zone defense, the chiefs uh, passing yards per attempt and one other passing stat and giants only generated 17 points. Now, a lot of that is this offensive line, what they've been, oh, their injuries, the horror, the injuries. Oh, come on. The injuries, Shane Lemieux, give me a break. These aren't the, the injuries. Um, but and, and yeah, it sucks to lose Thomas and Gates, but you still have Will Hernandez out there. You still have uh, and uh, Nate Soldier out there, okay? And Matt Parrott, who's not that good either. So uh, miss me on that, please, for all those who are giving excuses there. But regardless of all that, like, there's a way to game plan around Kadarius Tony here. And I, I can't figure out why he wasn't in the game plan. Like, this was the game plan against Dallas. He was their whole offense against Dallas, the whole passing game. That pretty much should have been the case today. It wasn't. Um, and so... Hard to fathom that as well, Nick. I don't know. I, I have no real explanation for it. Neither do I. I mean, at first, like through the first quarter, I was like, oh, okay, he's more of a decoy. They're, they're, right. you know, they don't want to give him too much of a workload coming off the ankle injury. I, I guess I understand that. Then maybe he shouldn't have played. And then I see him out there in punt return after Dante Pettis gets hurt. And I'm like, whoa, whoa what the heck? <laughs> Are we serious right now? Like, I, I'm going to say this, man. And I wonder if you agree with me here. I don't think there's any situation. Well, not any situation. I don't want to say that, but in most situations, 
Darius Slayton should not be on the field over Kadarius Tony. Like I think Kadarius Tony, and I said this a couple weeks ago. I said that Sterling Shepard should still play more than Kadarius Tony. I have flipped on that because that was before the Cowboys game, and that was uh, just after the Saints game where he had his like mini breakout, and the Cowboys game was a huge breakout. Kadarius Tony, other than Saquon Barkley, is their best offensive weapon, and he needs to be utilized. And that's what everybody help- healthy, including Kenny Galladay, in my opinion. I actually think a healthy Kadarius Tony is a better weapon than Saquon Barkley. To be to be completely honest with you, I'm not as high on Barkley, I guess, as others. I, I, I 2018 Barkley, yeah, I don't think he's been 2018 Barkley since 2018 uh, for whatever reason, and still don't think his processing is that great as a runner. And they just simply don't utilize him enough as a receiver to make him as much of a weapon. Kadarius Tony, like the way he looked against Dallas, like he was unbelievable. He was the entire offense and. And, you know, even at times in the game since then against the, or I'm sorry, against the Saints before that, but <laughs> excuse me, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's got to be on the field. Maybe that's just like easing him back in. I don't know. He injured his thumb, but he said it wasn't anything crazy and he went back into the game. So that's good on that front, uh, I suppose. How about this, Nick? How about this stat? Through their first 24 games as head coaches, Ben McAdoo was 12 and 12, Pat Shermer 7 and 17, Joe Judge 8 and 16, 8 and 16, despite facing. Andy Dalton with the Cowboys last year, Brandon Allen with the Bengals. I don't remember the all the other four, but or the other two, I should say. But I believe there were two other backup quarterbacks he faced. Taylor Heineke this year, who he lost to somehow. The Falcons, who the Giants somehow lost to, and then Teddy Bridgewater, who the Giants somehow lost to. And the Broncos look terrible. I mean, they they lost. They they have to squeeze out a win against the the football team this past Sunday. So. Just a lot of really bad losses, in my opinion, and very few meaningful win. One meaningful win this or two, the Saints and uh, and uh, the, the the Seahawks. Two meaningful wins through twenty four games is just simply not enough for me. Um, anything else specific, or do you have anything to say about that, or anything else specific about uh, the defense? Because we kind of, I kind of, you know, went on a little tangent there. So sorry about that. No, I mean, I just hope to keep seeing this defense. They're going to have a tough task against the Raiders next week, coming off the bye week. I'm not certain if Josh Jacobs or Darren Waller will be back from their injuries, but uh, the Giants, man, I mean, if this defense can continue to show strides, I mean, that will be one good feel-good thing about this team, I think, because it was really bleak early in the season when they just kept giving up touchdowns late in the first half. But I'm encouraged to see this defense, and I'm excited to watch them on film. I really am excited to watch that part on film. The offense, not as much, man. It's just inefficient. They suck in the red zone. It's every week. I I really liked the game plan last week against Carolina. This game plan, it it didn't seem to have a a strong identity. I, I didn't necessarily love it too much, but the tape will tell more. That's a great point, too, which we didn't really get to. A really bad game plan from Jason Garrett. Really came out flat here. Really missed a chance here to... To do, you know, to have a really good game. I know you have bad tackles. I get it, Garrett. I give Garrett all the excuses in the world. Like we talked about, like the excuse game. And for me, there, I don't have excuses for Joe Judge. Like all the crap. Like to me, the mistakes that Joe, the problems Joe Judge has right now and that are impacting this team negatively don't really have excuses that really add up for me. But I can give excuses to Daniel Jones and I can give excuses to Jason Garrett. It's hard to run an offense with this kind of offensive line. Now, that obviously doesn't excuse Gettleman, which we won't get to, but it's hard to run an offense with this kind of offensive line. That's fine. But you have to come out with something better than this against a defense that's been this bad, as bad as the Chiefs have been. Like, we're not talking about a good defense here. We're talking about a very bad defense. And to grind out 17 points against a bad defense, it's pretty unacceptable, regardless of what's going on with your offensive line and your receivers. Like, it's just, especially if Daniel Jones is a supposed franchise quarterback that some Giants fans were calling elite after the Saints game. Well, if that's the case. You can't score 17 against one of the worst defenses in the NFL who didn't have a get-right game until this one. This was essentially a get-right game for the Chiefs defense. If we're being honest about the situation, like, this is t- this is what you would call a get-right game. Um, and yes. so, just not not acceptable. Not not anything you can do to kind of, you know, win football games. I know my, my biggest worry with this game, my biggest concern would be the Giants considering this a moral victory because against a three and four Chiefs team that clearly doesn't look right on offense and hat and came into this one of the worst events in the league, this ain't no moral victory to lose a game uh, by three points to a team like this. This is it, it, last year. If the Giants had lost the Chiefs last year by three, that's a moral victory, kind of like that Bucks game they lost last year. But, you know, I'm, I'm sick of the moral victories, I guess, Nick, especially I, I'm just sick of them. You know what's interesting too, man? I mean, Kyle Rudolph touchdown was on a 
fourth and goal. That was fourth and one. They went for it in that situation, but they didn't decide to do it a little bit later. And I know it was different because it was from the five yard line and it was a fourth and two and Sterling Shepard. I mean, I don't love that play call, you know, the sprint out type, you know, create a high low and you're just basically shortening half the field, but Sterling Shepard is a smart veteran receiver. You have to be able to get four yards there. Obviously the the design of that play is for Sterling Shepard to get to the sticks, but he got two yards and he, like, I feel like that that's also on the player and I don't want to bash him because he ended up getting injured, which is just entirely too unfortunate because I still think he's a pivotal part of this offense. But I, I do believe he has to be better in that situation, but you know what has to stop Dan? What's that? Eight play, eight, nine, 10 play drives, 86 yards, field goal. Like that's just right. been like the New York Giants under Jason Garrett, dude. And it's just getting sickening at this point, man. It's, it's it sucks. That's the New York Giants. I don't think it's fair to say that's the New York Giants under Jason Garrett. I think that's fair to say that's the New York Giants under Joe Judge. I think if we look ourselves in the mirror, we can say that's the New York Giants under Joe Judge. And he's even said some things like I went over earlier to kind of, def- you know, back that up. The things like he said after that Saints game. See, it's trusting my process yeah. of. Of trying to win field position, like, I agree with you. But the at the end of the day, they obviously want to score touchdowns on first. Second right, the play calling plays. Garrett's well. You're 100% offense, right. Yeah, Garrett's offense isn't getting it done. I totally agree, though. Fair. I want to see a little bit more aggressiveness in certain situations, and I love the fact that they went for it on fourth and goal at the one. It's just when when I saw Graham Gano trotting on the field on the fourth and two, I was like, oh, come on, guys, like, you're not going to win by kicking field goals. You're you're not. Yeah. And you know what? They even positioned themselves to almost win, and I was like, holy crap. It's Joe Judge's process, but they still found a way to lose. And as you broke down before earlier in the podcast, those four points could have meant a lot if they ended up converting those four points. And that's a whole other story. But even if they don't, you have the Chiefs backed up uh, within the five-yard line, which is which is a great place to put your defense that's playing really well. Right, and that's a great point too because, yeah, I mean, my my assumption earlier, like if the Giants are up 21-17 there and they force that sack and they get, for, get them in fourth and goal from the 18, Giants probably win that game. I, I just don't see the Chiefs converting that. Giants will probably just do exactly what they did on the play before. Double Kelsey, double Hill. There's really no other option from 18 yards out. The, the D-line will get there. But especially with the way the Chiefs' offense line was playing, which wasn't great. But, you know, like you said, they would have had to convert it. Um, but it, all they had to do is get two yards, and they get a new set of downs as well, by the way, because they still had – it wasn't a fourth and goal. I, I made that mistake earlier. The Giants would have actually had a new set of downs. But like you said, man, worst-case scenario, they don't get the three points, but the Chiefs are backed up there. And with the way the defense is playing and how poorly the Chiefs' offense is playing, maybe it's a safety like last week, or maybe it's just a punt that puts them right back in Gano's field goal range. So you don't really end up losing nothing if they can force a three and out, um, which is – basically the whole rationale for going for it always in those fourth and short situations near the goal line. It's been, you know, proven over time. The good teams are doing it. The bad teams are doing what Joe judge does over and over. Um, but I guess eventually maybe that'll change. I hope, I, I guess not really. No, I'll be honest with you, Nick, <laughs> they're two and six right now. If they don't win many more games, I don't think I'm going to be calling for Joe judge to return. And I don't really think the new GM is probably going to be forced to keep them. We'll see what happens, but I wouldn't be shocked if they, if he's allowed to move on because right now Joe judge is simply not doing, uh, simply not doing enough with, 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 with what he has to work with. Um, unfortunately. So anything else on this loss? No, nah, man, it's just uh disappointing, but this, that's literally the term that I've used six times at the end of every one of these quick reaction podcasts. And unfortunately, even going further back than that, we used it a lot last year. Absolutely. Hopefully better times are ahead. We stick with us. We'll be there. And listen, the Giants have two first round picks. So it's going to be a fun off season. No matter what, we're going to dig deep into the draft. Um, you know, maybe they can make some kind of run in these last nine games and try to grind out wins um, for themselves. Um, but, you know, I'll say this. If we look back at this objectively, I'll end it on this. Let's be a little more as a fan base. Let's be a little more open to the idea. Let's be a little more open to the idea that progress is not actually progress. If, if it means we go one more year with this regime, like we did this past off season, progress is not actually then progress. It's actually moving yourselves backward, which I think is a lot of what, you know, people who have been trying to move on from DG a long time ago, like myself and a lot of others, we're kind of trying to point to, we were kind of trying to point to the damage can be done by sticking with him. Um, and there has been a lot of damage done to this roster. Unfortunately. I mean, like they're nowhere near competing for a Super Bowl right now. I know they're somewhat injured. They're injured. A lot of teams are injured, but you know, they've poured a lot into this. So we'll see what happens, man. I, I just hope better times are ahead. I, I, I want to, I just, I want to go into these games and I want them to be meaningful around week seven, week eight, week nine, week 10, you know, even deeper into week 15, week 16. I want them to be meaningful, Nick. And I don't want to go into these games. Like 
I used to be devastated when the Giants lost games, man. It used to like ruin my week. It used to be something that like every play I was on the edge of my seat caring so much. And I've, I'll be honest with you, man. I've been beaten down. I've been worn down and I've lost a lot of my care. It sucks to say, but right now it's like hard to care about this the way it, uh, winning and losing at least in every single play. And when they lose these games, it's not affecting my weeks as much as it used to. It's just, it's crazy, man. I never thought I'd get to this, but I've been beaten down by this regime. I really have been. Yeah. I understand what you're saying, bro. Hopefully better times are ahead for all of us here on the big blue banter podcast and all of us giants fans. You never know things could get better. Um, Anyway, thank you to everybody tuning in. Thank you to everybody who has done their part to help us grow this podcast over the years. This year, especially, it's been a tough one for the Giants. Uh, not that we're saying too much different from past years, but you know, we're up to 666 rating and review on iTunes. We want to get that to 667 if possible, because that's a weird number, 666. I'm not a very religious person, but I consider myself somewhat spiritual, and I just don't like to look at that 666. So do us a favor, somebody. Leave us a rating or review. Get us to 667 if you can. We want to get higher, but at least get us to 667 here. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's taking the time to watch us on the YouTube page. I know it's not as fun watching these videos when we're losing, but there's still important things we need to take away from. Is Daniel Jones going to be a part of our future? You know, Can Aziz Ojolari be a star for us in the future? Can he be a big building block? And so on and so forth. Matt Parrott still evaluating him. God, if he has a great second half, it's going to make me feel so much better going to the offseason, Nick. Just needing one less starting offensive lineman is going to make me feel so much better. I don't I don't feel good about Hernandez right now, so I feel like we kind of need one more there as well. So just one fewer will be so nice. If we can go in with just Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott feeling good about two, those two, uh, and maybe, you know, Matt Skira, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Give me three. If we can go in only needing to replace two, it'll make me feel so much better. But so we'll be doing videos there as well. And then, as always, follow us on Instagram at NYC banter otherwise have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.